Well, go with me back over to uh, the book of Genesis for a moment. won't spend a lot of time, uh, you know, reviewing what we've learned concerning the story of Abraham and his wife, Sarah, and the promise of the seed of the covenant, which is Isaac, and the diversion, which was Ishmael. And in chapter 15, verse 1, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, do not be afraid, Abram, say it with me, do not be afraid. Why would he say that? How I many have learned enough about the things of God that God doesn't say things and waste them? They're not out there for no reason at all. He doesn't tell Joshua, uh, don't be discouraged, don't be dismayed, right? Unless it was a possibility for him to be discouraged. And he's not saying this just to say it. Don't be afraid, Abram, because the possibility of fear is there. I am your shield, your very great reward. How I many know if God's your shield, nothing's going to penetrate, nothing's going to get through? You'll be more than a conqueror. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? Now not only do we have, don't be afraid, Abram, Abram's first response has to deal with what? Fear over this, over this heir thing. He was afraid there was not going to be an heir, that somehow this was not going to happen in his life. So, you know, if God says something and our first response uncovers our heart, how many understand that was, that's what God was referring to in the first place? Don't be afraid about this, Abram. But he's basically saying, well, I am, and I'm struggling with this. And Abram said, you've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Say it with me, the word of the Lord. That's what we're talking about here is being foundational believers where the word of the Lord is first place and final authority. The word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him, what? Out and said, look at the heavens and count the stars if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your what? Offspring be. And it's not coming from a servant in your household. So what do you see right here in this little tiny piece of scripture? One, the Lord preemptively tells him not to fear. Why would God say that? Because Abram was walking in fear concerning those that would inherit his estate and what would happen in his life. And God comes back with him and tells him and gives him a promise. Say it with me, the word of the Lord. Has there ever been a time right now this nation needed more a word of the Lord? How about you? Could you use a word of the Lord in your life? Well, the thing about the word of the Lord is making sure once you receive it that you stand on it no matter what you go through, no matter what you see or hear or feel. Say it with me, I'm not moved by what I see or hear or feel. I'm only moved by what did God say. Now, you know and I know that immediately the devil begins to work on Abram and on Sarah over that very word. Don't think God's going to give you a word, a direction, you know, an inspiration, a vision, and then the devil is going to sit back and say, well, God gave the vision. I guess it's over. He's going to fight you tooth and nail. Not that he can stop you, but he can discourage you and come against your mind, your heart, so that you will drop the vision that God gave you. This is a word for somebody tonight. The Lord is telling you to pick up the vision that you've dropped. Pick up the thing that you set aside and run with it once again. God's not done with you. Come on, say, God's not done with me. That's a low-level devil picking on you. It's about time you remember who you are in Christ. You're the head, not the tail, above only and not beneath. And so you know, and I know, that what happened was Sarah says, you know what, we don't have any kids. Here's Hagar, you know, take her as your whatever you want to call it. We won't call her a wife, but the scripture indicates that he definitely had relations with her. We would probably call her technically a mistress. And, of course, he... Uh, goes with her and produces a son, and the son is called what? Ishmael. Is Ishmael a son of the covenant? No, he's a son and a product of the flesh. Now, you and I have uh, been on this earth long enough to produce some products of the flesh. Raise your hand if you ever produced a flesh baby of some kind. Amen. And that's understandable, but how many of there comes a time in your walk with God where you've got to stop producing Ishmael's? And start producing what? 
promises that come from that covenant. Whether it's a, a, a situation like this where it's, we're talking about a son, a natural son, or the thing that God has put in your heart. Now what happens is, if you, if you do this, uh, you're going to have to serve that thing. Now what most people don't realize is uh, the Jewish uh, nation and Muslims both claim Abraham. Is that an illusion for the Muslim? No, it's not an illusion. It's historical fact. The, they, as well as the Jewish people, have Abraham as a physical father. The problem is it's, it's the Jewish people that are, what, descended of the covenant promise. And it's the other that's descended of the flesh. Does that make sense? And so you can see, here we are in 2022, still talking about what? This seemingly insignificant action of birthing a child outside of that covenant marriage, outside of that promise. And don't think just because, you know, Ukraine's in the news and Russia's in the news that that demon is done in the Middle East. I assure you it's not. It's operating through Iran. It's operating through ISIS in Africa right now. Right now, the, the African version of ISIS is pillaging, you know, mowing down people in Mozambique and burning villages and raping and killing and pillaging. It's still out there. And it will be there until the Lord comes back, puts his foot down, amen, and that'll be the end of it. Yes. He loves those people. Yes, it's obvious when Abraham came to God and said, yes, I hear you what you're saying about a son, you know, from my own, you know, line, from my own body, but, but how about blessing Ishmael too? What did God do? God blessed him anyway. He became a, a great nation. I mean, the earth is populated with descendants of what? Of Ishmael. Um, the good news is in Christ, we were grafted into Israel. We're the biggest family. We're the, we're the biggest dog on the block. Amen? Amen. Aren't you glad about that? Yes. But this, uh, this descendant, this family line from Ishmael is, is a lot bigger mistake than they would have thought at the time. This wild donkey spirit that is upon that line. You don't have to be a, you know, an expert in Arab studies. You don't have to be an expert in the Semitic peoples to understand this is a huge issue. Well, you know, right now is a, is a season in, in the earth and for the body of Christ where, number one, we can't afford to be doing this. And yet, number two, we're at a season where people are more likely in the body of Christ to create Ishmael's than I've ever seen since I've been in ministry. This is that day. Believers were creating Ishmael, and then they'll say, well, God led me to do this. Well, no, God didn't lead Abram and Sarah to do that. And if you're ever going to get victory over that spirit, you're going to stop saying, God led me. Amen? I don't believe that God, uh, you know, never talks to us. But some people, you think they have a running conversation. Everything they do, they blame on God. No, a lot of that's flesh. Amen. God could be in some of that, but ultimately he's not in contradiction to himself. Especially if God says this week, go here, the next week, go over here, then the third week, go over here, then the other week, go here. How do you understand if that were God, we need to get him some medication? Because there's something wrong with him. Or there's something wrong on the receiving end. And God gives a commission, and then a demon says, no, that's not what God said. He really meant this. No, that's not what God, and he, he really said this. I mean, it gets, it gets exhausting to live that way. Look at somebody and tell them, this is no time for Ishmael's. Come on, say it again. This is no time to create in Ishmael. The Ishmael in our lives represents the settling for less than God's best. And oftentimes it's because we want to help God out. We don't see it happening on our timetable. We don't see it happening the way we want it to. So we're going to kind of help the Lord. Any temptation to help the Lord along is going to create an Ishmael. It's going to get you into trouble. Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, it leads to what? It leads to death or destruction. Listen to this from 2 Timothy 3.1 from the classic Amplified. But understand this, that in the last days will come and be perilous times of great stress and trouble. And listen to the parenthetical statement, hard to deal with and hard to bear. Does that not describe what we're in right now? Yes. What does this mean? It means it's the perfect time to create an Ishmael in your life. 
Something that God never ordained, God never wanted to be that way, and yet because of our flesh and because of our will, he allowed us to do it. The NIV says, but mark this, there'll be terrible times in the last days. He goes on to describe those days, but I just want you to see that they're hard to deal with and hard to bear. And what do people do when they get into fear, just like Abram? When they get into fear, that is optimal time for creating an Ishmael. Look at somebody and tell them, getting the Ishmael is the easy part. Getting rid of Ishmael is the hard part. It's easier to just not have them in the first place. So, you know, tonight's dedicated to applying some principles for the Word of God that will prevent you from creating the Ishmael in the first place. And so let's just go ahead and jump right into this. Number one, you need to remember the word that was spoken to you. What was the word spoken to Abraham? From your own body, you will have a child. Now, that's what you have to focus on. You, this means you have to, you know, stay in the faith realm. And the only way to stay in the faith realm is to stay on that word that God gave you. Now, I like to tell you that God's going to give you paragraphs at a time. How many of you know sometimes he gives you a word? Uh, with Peter, it was come. You may have heard the Lord say to you, go. You may have heard the Lord give you a one-sentence command or, or you'd like to have more, but you're not getting any more. And I want to say this again. You do not operate in the day we live in on silence. If you do, you will create an Ishmael. It's getting awful silent in this church when I just talked about silence. Raise your hand if, like me, you've done that. <laughs> Ever moved on silence? Um, no, we don't do that. Why? Because there's no way for us to be operating in faith if we haven't had a word from God. Say it with me. Walk by faith and not by sight. The only way to do that is to have a word. And Abram had a word. I look at somebody and say, and you have a word as well. God is always willing to talk to you through his word. He's always willing to speak to you in a place of prayer. You want to make sure that you receive that word and then you stick to what he has said. No matter what happens, no matter who tries to pull you off of it, no matter what it looks like, no matter what you see, feel, no matter what's going on against you to oppose that word, no matter how many seemingly open doors there are. Amen. Let me say it again. The devil knows how to open doors. And the devil knows how to close doors. There are some doors that close that you need to take your big size 12 and knock them down. If you're still operating open doors, closed door theology, that's fine maybe when you're a baby Christian for about a month. That's like in the early church when they drew straws to replace Judas and a lot filled with Matthias. Uh, that's fine. But once the Holy Ghost comes, everybody say, thank God, thank God for the Holy Ghost. I don't draw straws anymore. And I don't have to play the open door, closed door game. You see what I'm saying to you? God didn't put out five doors in front of Abram and say, here, walk through the open one. That's not how this works. Uh, God's ability to talk to us transcends merely the circumstances around us. And sometimes you've got to knock doors down that are in your way. And some doors that are open and beckoning you, you need to run for the hills. And who can tell you what the truth is about that particular door? Well, only God can. Amen. I mean, God is willing to as well. Say it with me. It's not open doors, closed doors. It's what did God say? Come on, say it again. It's not open doors, not closed doors. It's what did God say? And this, this tendency for Christians just to probe the atmosphere and to probe geography and, and probe locations and probe opportunities to see if it's God's will, that is not how a mature Christian behaves. It's very simple. What did God say? And if he's not saying, then he's spoken. Sit yourself down, clown. And wait until he does. Well, I'm tired of waiting. Well, you're going to be in a bigger mess if you go ahead and choose to do what you want to do instead of waiting on him to talk to you. This is a spiritual formation issue. A majority of Christians never get to the place where they're led by his voice. They'll keep probing 
and scratching and itching and going over here and going over there and asking to see if it's, it's a thing. Yes, you'll find out eventually if it was God or not. But between A and B, you're going to create a mess. And some of those messes, you won't find it very easy to get out of. So we're people of the Word and people of the Spirit. Say it, people of the Word and people of the Spirit. You know what that means? It means we've got all we need. Amen? We've got all we need to succeed in this life. We've got his direction. We have his word that lays out our general morality and our belief system. And we have the Holy Ghost to fill in all the blanks of the details and the particulars of our life. I remember when uh, I was in Charleston and about October of that fall, God just, just continued, spoke to me that I was in the wrong place. I understand this. My decision to go to the College of Charleston in Charleston, South Carolina, it's the oldest municipal college in the country. I mean, the library that's there, Ben Franklin. I mean, the founders of our of our country actually met there, as did the uh, you know the early revolutionaries. Um, if you saw the Patriot, anybody see the Patriot the movie? You know the really blood and guts movie about the uh, revolution. Uh, where the South Carolina legislature met is the College of Charleston administration building. It's it's really beautiful down there, and. Um, so I had already made these decisions, right? But then in June, before I was going to go to college in August, September, I got born again, got spirit-filled. And how do you understand, those, those things were already set in motion. But when I got down there, even though God was blessing everything I did, I mean everything I did when I, when I landed on that campus, by about October, I just knew that I was in the wrong place. Now, how do you understand, uh, there are a lot of universities and colleges Amen. But even then, I knew better than to just start making a list and checking it twice. See which college has been naughty or nice. You know, I don't know. That's not going to work. I had one friend that uh, came to Murray State. I didn't even know Murray existed. I mean, just being on the other side on, in Illinois, you'd think I'd know about it. But everything up there is SIU and St. Louis and Chicago. You understand that. But I, I knew in my spirit that that's what I was supposed to do. And it didn't hurt that uh, if you were on a border county in Illinois at the time, Murray State gave you in-state tuition, which was nice. So uh, that worked out real, real well, praise the Lord. Boy, did I have no idea what God had in store for me. Here it is, 2022, and I'm still in Murray. <laughs> he did. He had, he had college ministry waiting for me. He had a church to go to. He had experiences and connections. Um, Kelly chased me down while I was attending this church and ended up getting married. And I mean, yeah. So I uh, had no idea. But I can tell you this, even then it was not an open door, closed door thing. Is what do you have for me? You've got to get the word of the Lord on your situation. If it takes a week, a month, six months, ten years, don't you move until you have the word of the Lord for your situation. Just make up your mind that I'm not going to live like a baby Christian, open and closed doors. Circumstances. Well, if God does this, this, then be careful with fleeces because you might just get what? Fleece. Well, Gideon did it, and they, they uh, basically flipped a coin in the early church. You know, that's the, that's the basic uh, application for our culture. That's not the way a child of God operates. It's spirit-filled. What is doing that represent? All that is sense-based living. And we walk by faith. And not by what? Sight. Which is the tallest straw? Which is the side of the coin? Which is the open door? Now, we can blow past all that. God has a perfect will for you. Do you believe that? Raise your hand if you believe God has a perfect will for your life. Well, is he not then also committed to showing you what that is? How unfair would it be for God to have a perfect will for your life and then slap at you as you try to figure it out? Would that be just? No. So the word of the Lord is, is so critical here. He has given you his word. Now keep your eyes on that word. Once you've received that instruction. Uh, when we came here, the word was preached, the uncompromised word of God. Now I'd like to say that we've arrived. We haven't. We know it all. We don't. But I can tell you this. The entire time we have been here, we have striven to preach the uncompromised word of God. That this is what the word of the Lord says. This is not about religion. This is what the word says. And you'll find out that not everything that we preach and teach here lines up with everything somebody within our own denomination would say or think. 
or other denominations. And those of you that have been a part of the assemblies, you know what I'm talking about. Um, we're going we're gonna to stand on what the Word of God says, no matter what religion says. Now, what you have to do is apply that to your own life. Say it with me. First place and a final authority. Peter said, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come to thee. And what did God say to him? Just what? Just listen. One anointed word. One word from God can change your life forever. One little word. Watch this. One little word, and Peter was able to miraculously do what is impossible to do. Walk on water. And as soon as he took his eyes off of that word, what was his Ishmael that day? A near-death experience. Thank God for the mercy of God. I mean, if you cry out to him, he'll pick you up. Amen. Put you back on a firm place. But how many know Ishmael never had to be made? And Peter never had to sink. Come on, say it with me. Abraham never had to create an Ishmael. Peter never needed to sink. And here's my point. There's a lot of things that you and I don't need to go through, but they're self-orchestrated. And if you'll just stop it and just wait on the Lord, stay focused on that word that he gave you, he'll guide you and lead you to your destination, what you're supposed to be doing. Number two, stand under pressure. Okay, you've made up your mind. You're going to focus on that word. You're going to meditate on that word. You're going to stand on that word. You're going to ignore the wind and the waves that Peter saw that finally took him out. You're going to ignore the fact that in the natural, it doesn't seem like you're ever going to have this uh, this child, but you're going to stand no matter how much pressure comes on you. Now, you'd be amazed how many people uh, say uncle because of the pressure that comes on them. And watch this. Pressure doesn't release with revelation, and pressure increases with it. So the more of the word you receive from God, the more pressure you're going to have. But you need to separate the pressure, amen, from the promise. And put the pressure over there on the promise and not on you. Make, it, make yourself aware that I don't have the power to make this thing happen anyway. So why should I be fretting about when it happens, how it happens, where it happens, when it happens, I'm going to just put the pressure on the Word of God. God's the one that said it. Does that make sense? So you're going to have pressure whenever God is operating in your life. And oftentimes what you'll see is those good ideas and those quick fixes are all designed to release the pressure in your life. And the action of releasing the pressure is where many of the Ishmaels are created in our lives. We get out there and we can't take it anymore, so we, we reduce it. And maybe for a little bit, the pressure, you know, gets, gets a little less. But how do you understand with Ishmael, the pressure in the long run did not get less? The warfare, the antagonism, the souls that have been killed through the years, the blood that's been shed because of the ignorance. And there are a lot of descendants of Ishmael that don't act like a fool. I mean, there are a lot of them that just practice their religion. But if you think at its core, the Koran is a religion of peace, you've been lied to. This is the bottom line. So what am I saying to you? I'm saying to you there are millions of Christians who don't really practice their faith as the Bible prescribes it. And I'm telling you there are millions of Muslims that don't practice their faith as it's prescribed in their Koran. And I actually, I thank God they don't practice their faith in accordance with the Quran. But what if we did practice our faith in accordance with the Word of God? We're not told to kill our enemies. We're told to love our enemies, pray for them, do good to them, bless them, the Bible says. Can you see the difference? So what's going to happen is in this life you live in, you're going to be under pressure. And uh, you're going to do some things from time to time to, to hit that pressure valve. You just want it to stop. You know, whether it's a financial situation or a physical situation, you just want it to stop. Now, in getting it to stop, oftentimes that's when the Ishmael is birthed. That's when the problem is manufactured in your life. Listen to this in Proverbs 14.10. If you fail, or fail under pressure, your strength is too small. Amen. If you fail under pressure, your strength is too small. Another translation talks about faltering uh, 
in the midst of a, of a, of a challenging situation. What you've got to do, uh, you've got the word. Say it, I have the word. But if you have the word, you're also going to have pressure. And what you've got to learn to do is make sure you're maintaining a prosperous soul during that time. You have got to anchor your mind in what did God say. You've got to anchor your emotions in the things of God and police yourself. You know, uh, when, when we run amok emotionally, we don't like somebody correcting us. Amen. We just want to feel. We just want to. We don't want to speak out. We want to act out. We want to feel. And the world encourages it. And a big part of the ignorant church encourages it as well. But what we can do is please ourselves. No, I'm. I'm not going to act out. No, I'm not going to respond. I'm going to walk in peace in this situation. Devil, you used to get me with this, but you're not going to get me anymore. I. I am not going to fly off the handle. Come on, say it with me. I am not going to fly off the handle. What am I going to do? I'm going to please myself in my mind, in my will, and my emotions. And I'm going to be at peace during this time of waiting. And I'm going to let his promise come to pass, no matter how big the pressure, you know, I'm going to have a prosperous soul. Which means I'm going to have what? Well-being in my mind, in my will, and my emotions. And what did John say? John said when that happens, you will have what? You'll be in health and what? And your soul will prosper as what? Right? He wants you to be well. He wants you to prosper as your what? So what happens when our soul stops prospering? It can affect our health. How many of you already found that that's true? That your emotions and your will, your meditations can affect you adversely in your health. Interesting, isn't it? John also said it can also affect you in terms of prosperity. Amen. What you think, what you feel, the decisions you make can affect your health, but also can affect your financial standing in life. Now, a lot of religious Christians don't want us talking about stuff like that, but I think it's very important for us to talk about that. That if I think the wrong thing, it can hurt me physically. If I feel the wrong thing and let that thing control my life, I can be affected physically by that. If I allow myself to be bullied and pressured to making decisions, I can affect my health by the decisions that I make, but I can also affect my financial health and standing. Of all the things the Apostle John could say, he's the one that Jesus loved. I think he's kind of bragging there, but I think he did love the Lord because, you know, during the crucifixion, where was everybody else? Right? So he kind of backed it up with some action there. Of all the things he could have said in that short little letter, he says, Beloved, what is beloved? It's a term of endearment. You that I'm writing to, I love y'all. Beloved. I what? I wish above all things. Wow. All things? You walking with the Lord? You going to be the revelator? You, you would say above all things you've learned in the Hebrew now and in the Christian tradition. Above all things. Everybody say it, all things. Understand what I'm saying? Throughout the entirety of Jewish history and the young church age, I wish what? Above all things. And people still fighting that message. Still fighting that revelation. And yet it was John who was the last what? He was the last of the Mohicans, right, on the planet. Above all things that you would what? Prosper. Your life would be successful in every area, including financially, and you would be in health, even as what? Even as your soul is prospering. So my, what I think, what I feel, what I decide can affect my health, but it can also affect my success in life in general. I don't know about you, but if he made a big deal of it, I don't mind making a big deal out of it. And the scripture banks it up. He's got plans to prosper you, plans to give you what? A hope and a future. Who has plans? He has plans, but not for the self-directed Christian. So you don't have a prosperous soul if you're self-directed. Well, Pastor, I don't like this. Yeah, you do. Your flesh may not like it. Amen. Amen. But your spirit's jumping up and down saying, yes. 
It's, match, it's March Madness. Two points, praise the Lord. Three points for the line, hallelujah. You're excited in here. Your flesh has gone. Oh. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. It's huge that you remember the word spoken to you. Say it with me, I remember. And that you stand under pressure. But you won't do that if you don't pay attention to the condition of your mind, your will, and your emotions. And how many know with some people, their mind's the biggest problem? With some people, their emotions the biggest problem. With some people, their will is the biggest problem. For some people, all three. <laughs> We're not going to take a poll, so we'll just settle down out there. <laughs> but how do you have more trouble maybe with your emotions than anything? Okay. Well, you know what to work on. You know what to be aware of. You know that... The, the devil is going to do everything he can to get you emotionally compromised so he can produce another Ishmael in your life. Other of you that have issues, you know, with the battle in your mind, you know that's how the devil is going to try to get you to formulate a release of the pressure. Amen. Or if you tend to be confused in life in terms of your will, the devil just is constantly hammering at you to, to get the itch and move and get the itch and do this and do that and even completely contradict what you said was God's will five days ago. If, he, if, you're, if you're like that, that's the avenue he's going to use to try to create the Ishmael in your life. So I need to make sure that I am a, a person that has emotions, but not to run my life. Amen. That my mind is being what? Constantly renewed. Say it with me, constantly renewed. Immersed constantly in the Word of God. And every day you get up. Say every day. Every day you do what Jesus said. Here am I. I'm here to do your will. Every day. Say it with me, every day. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. I promise you if you'll do that with a sincere heart, he will keep you on track. And later that day when the devil says, well, I think you should do this, or he starts opening up doors you know is not God, or he tries to close the door that God's trying to open up in your life or somehow mislead you, you've already made your confession that day. Devil, I've already settled that. It's March 23rd. You know what? Thy will be done. And if we live that way, a lot of things will be a lot simpler in life. Amen. It's time to come to Bible study. Time to come to church. Amen. Thy will be done. When it's time to give an offering and tithe, guess what? Thy will be done. Life is so much easier if we'll just live with that as our motto. Come on, say, thy will be done. Thy will be done. Say, thy will be done. But you know, even as Christians, we run around with, my will be done. Amen. And that's why we're defeated in these areas and led astray. And we got little Ishmael's running around. Amen. How many of y'all know that George Foreman called all of his kids? George. George. Seems to me that get confusing. But George 1, George 2, George 3, George 4, George 5, George 6, George 7. And some of y'all have Ishmael 1, Ishmael 2, Ishmael 3, Ishmael 4. At some point in time, man, you need to, you need to just stop it. Yep. Amen. Are you hearing me say that? You need a spiritual vasectomy. You need to stop it. Amen. Just stop it. Stop creating these things. Hallelujah. Say it with me. Remember the word spoken to you. Stand under pressure. Number three, grow in revelation of God's nature. The essence of this story is that God revealed himself to Abram as Elohim, creator God. Now, I mean, that's pretty impressive. But if all you think that God is a detached creator that's not invested in your life personally, his promises just amount to, you know, the birds in the, in the sky, you know, and the, and the water and the sun and provision for you and taking care of you. He's the one that made it all, Elohim. Later on, we find out by the time he's 99, he now knows God in the scripture as El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one. In other words, Elohim created this thing, spun it into motion. But El Shaddai is the miracle-working God. He has the power to suspend natural law if it means fulfilling his will for your life. Did Elohim show up at the Red Sea? Yes. Can he perform a creative miracle in your life? If he has to do a creative miracle, you know, El Shaddai will do what he told you he will do. 
He has the power to bring to pass what he said. Amen. And you'll find out that um, we create Ishmael sometimes because we, we doubt not only his will, but we doubt whether he will. We doubt sometimes his power. We say generically we believe that God has the power to do what he had promised, but oftentimes we're thinking about somebody else, not us. You need to put yourself in that blank. Amen. He has the power to do what he promised you. Say it with me. I'm not a doubter. I'm a believer. And if you said, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, guess what? El Shaddai has the power to do what he promised. You believe that? Even if gas prices are high. Even if every prophet of doom has stepped out of the cave. Does that make sense? You don't have to enter into that because you have a revelation of his nature. And he is good. For the Lord is good. Amen. And what he does is good. He has goodness stored up for those that what? That love him. Say he is good. And by good, I don't mean he can do bad, but we'll call it good with a wink because after all, he's God and he can do what he wants. No, God cannot do what he wants. God will not violate his word. For him to violate his word is to put himself on our level. We violate our word. He does not violate his word. And he has the power to bring to pass what he actually said. So that's what the revelation means in Romans 4.21. God has the power to do what he had promised. Shout that out. God has the power to do, to do what he had promised. So how am I going to keep little issue away? By standing on the word that God had spoke to me. By what? Standing under pressure. By growing in revelation. The more you know about his goodness and his nature, the more convinced you're going to be that God's going to come through again. See, right now, if, if you're paying attention to what the economists are saying and the comparisons, you know, to the days of Nixon or to the days of Carter, the interest rates, double-digit inflation, you're listening to all that stuff, you know, and, and it doesn't move you. The reason it's not moving you is because you learned a long time ago that if I'll tithe and honor God, he'll take care of me. Doesn't make a difference what season it is. If he has to deliver it from the sky like birds, or he has to provide through some obscure source, he will. Come on, say, he will. Other people have been playing around with this. You probably have cause to be concerned because you picked a terrible time not to be a tither and a giver. Well, Pastor, you should have been preaching about it before this. Don't give me that. Uh-uh. No. No. Is it possible you didn't get it? Yes. Is it possible it wasn't preached? No. Come on, say, we know. We just don't always practice it. Well, you know, now when you see what's going on and you see the supply chain issues and you see the threat of wars and rumors of wars and inflation and interest rates, you know, this is, this is not the time, you know, not to have that revelation active in your life. You say, is God merciful? Yes. Repent now and get on the program. You're going to find out, those of you who have been faithful to God, that, uh, you know, it's not a game with him. Tithing and giving and the resulting promises and benefits, the benefits that go with tithing, the promises that go with the source, say, I have benefits and I have promises. It's not a game to him. It's a reflection of his nature and his goodness. Why would he honor his word? Because he's good. Why would he provide for you, his people? Because he is good. He is fundamentally good. And if I know he is good, he's going to deal with this issue that pertains to me. I don't have to get out in the flesh and create an Ishmael because I know he's what? He's good. Turn to somebody and tell him he is good. And his mercy endures forever. Hallelujah. Say it with me. I thank God I started tithing and giving a long time ago. Yeah, Timothy posted something this morning about this very thing. He's not concerned about this, and, and it was a great post. And, and the reason is not is because the time he was just a sawed-off shotgun. He was taught. Here, somebody gave you a dollar, tithe on it. Got some birthday money from Grandma, tithe on it. And he learned to sow. 
I don't even remember what toys, toy he sold or what he did. But on the same day one day, I don't know how old he was, was he? I don't know, seven, eight, nine years old? The, the story about the base. She's great with dates and stuff like that. She doesn't know. She doesn't remember. Eh? <laughs> I, I don't remember um, what he sold, but it was something he felt impressed to, to give in Jesus' name to somebody else. And it was a very nice toy or something. I can't remember what it was. And he had you know, sparked an interest in music. You know, now he can basically play anything he wants to. And one afternoon, I came home. We lived over on Shady Lane off of Sycamore at the time. And there were two boxes, two. There were two different bass guitars from two different parts of the country. I want God to do that in my life. Well, trust that he will. Amen. Sow your seed. Stop looking at the clouds. Amen. Not only do I believe you're going to be okay. Say it with me. He is good. Come on, say he is good. How good is he? He is so good to me. Come on, say he is good. Not only do I believe you're going to see him take care of you, I can believe that you're going to advance and increase in this crazy time. Say it with me. I'm increasing. I'm not standing still. He is good. Did he not do that through his covenant child, Isaac? Was Isaac not the child of the promise? Yes. Did he not have a word of the Lord? Stay in this land. Come on. What do you do? You remember the word spoken to you by God. Well, God, look here. You know, everything is hard. The ground is hard. Can't even sow the seed. Nobody's got water. Nobody's got crops growing. Hey, Isaac, just stand under pressure. He, what, sowed in the famine. See this? He did what God told him to do, stayed in the land, sowed, stood upon that promise. He stood under pressure, and in the same year, in the same year, in the same place, because he was standing on that word, God gave him a hundredfold in that same year. Year. Why? Because God is good. He had a revelation that the same God that's doing the commanding is the same God that's going to do the blessing. These blessings shall come upon them and overtake them. Who? Those that hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord our God. Say it, I am increasing. Say it with me, I am increasing. And you know what Todd Broker said several months ago when he was doing the exhortation for the offering? Sometimes increase looks like work. Is that okay? No, I just want the increase that just comes, you know, from the sky and falls down. Sometimes your increase is going to come in the form of opportunity. It's going to require you to work a little bit. But guess what? It'll be sweatless annoying. God will bless your efforts. You'll make a difference in what you're doing. Your light will shine. You'll be a blessing to other people. So don't be concerned about that. If it's a God thing, you'll enjoy what you're doing. Say we all enjoy what I'm doing. And God will increase me. Amen. Even if for no other reason to increase your seed bag. Come on, confess it. God is increasing my seed bag. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because of the, the, you know, the switch that you make once you get born again in spirit filled and you understand that he made you righteous. But the, the revelation and the teaching about the goodness of God, once I start talking about it, I can't stop talking about it. He is so good. Why are you going to see victory in that area of your life that was spoken prophetically about tonight? Because he's good. Why is Ukraine coming out of this victorious? Because God is good. Why are the people of God going to march on in these times to victory? Because God is good. But I can say that, but you have to get that revelation. Religion may have taught you he's an ogre with a baseball bat. Just waiting to knock you into the next county if you step out of line. Couldn't be furthest from the truth. God is, what, long-suffering. Amen. Say it with me. He's long-suffering. He's patient. He is kind. He puts up with our goofiness a long time. Amen. Aren't you glad for that? 
Number four, and this is important, but I want to make sure I take the, the time to, to sow this into your heart tonight. Maintain a healthy conscience and listen to it. There are too many people in the body of Christ that are ignoring that check in their spirit. Instead of following the rule of peace, Colossians 3.15, they're ignoring the rule of peace. Peace of God, the Bible says, let the peace of God rule or umpire in your hearts. It means let the peace of God call the shots in your life. Now I'm remembering the word spoken to me. I'm standing under pressure. I'm receiving revelation about the goodness of God. And now what I'm doing is I'm operating from the spirit man and not from my body. Say my body or my mind or my will or my emotions. Listen carefully. My body, my mind, my will, my emotions are never, ever anointed to direct my life. Ever. And what do we spend most of our lives doing? That very thing. That's how natural man lives. God put inside of a human being a thing called a conscience. As we grow in revelation, we begin to understand that the conscience is synonymous to, you could say attached to, the spirit man. And the health of that conscience in your life is going to determine Many times, whether you'll carry through and follow out, you know, follow what God has said, or you'll create an Ishmael, because either the health of that conscience is suspect, or you're still running your life by your body, your mind, your will, and your emotions. What does your physical body need, or want, or scream for? What does your intellect say? And this is where it gets real dangerous being an intellectual. Some people, Brother Copeland says, are educated way beyond their intellect. Why is that? Because that's not the center focus of our, of our authority or of our, our leadership. Your emotions, you should have fired them a long time ago. If I take a poll, everybody in this room could tell of a time your emotions led you into a ditch. Some of you have a PhD in emotional ditches. Amen. Or your will, the way you want, this is the way it is. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. Like George Bailey, I'm going to do this, I'm going to go over here, I'm going to go over there. Didn't work out well for him, did it? No. Think about it this way. Proverbs 20, 27 from the Amplified. The spirit or the conscience of a man is the lamp of the Lord, searching and examining all the innermost parts of his being. What that means is the spirit man, the center of conscience, is the part that God lights up. Everybody say, thy will be done. Will be done. How many of y'all mean that? Yes. Yes. In response to that, in response to your track record of being on the word of God, standing under pressure, you know, meditating on and receiving revelation on the goodness of God, you make up your mind, thy will be done. The part that God's going to communicate with is that spirit man, and it's going to manifest in that conscience when it's healthy. It's not coming to your body. It's not coming to your mind. God's direction is not coming to your emotions. God's direction is not coming to your will. Your will is simply this, obey God's will or not obey God's will. Your will is not given to you to run your life. That communication is going to come to the part that God lights up. The spirit of the man is the candle of the Lord. It's the part he lights up. That's where the direction's coming to. And the first thing we've got to do is still the mind, still the emotions, still the will, still the body, so that the conscience can take over in terms of its leadership, in terms of its reception of what God is actually saying about your life. Well, Pastor, if someone's conscience isn't functioning right, is that a problem? That's exactly the problem. There, there are four possibilities for the condition of your conscience right now. Write these down. One is what I call simple conscience. This is the conscience that allows a human being to know that there's a creator by watching God's creation. The Bible talks about men becoming 
darkened in their understanding. The simple conscience is something that everybody that's born on this planet has. The question is, does it ever become developed to the point of the believer? Does it ever come, become developed to the point where they can actually flow with the Spirit of God and stay in step with the Spirit of God? That's the question. How many understand? It's one thing to say, yes, there's a creator. It's another thing to serve him. Does that make sense? And so there are people that have a simple conscience that, that may or may not have a developed conscience to the point where they can actually know and follow right instead of wrong. Amen. Do what they should instead of what they shouldn't. Now, the longer they live on this planet, they're going to go one of two ways. They're either going to follow God and develop that thing, or it's become, become more darkened all the time. Now, I would say tonight that's probably what's going on with Putin. He needs, he needs deliverance. I mean, right now, the State Department is, is, is racking up hundreds of war crimes. Not one or two war crimes. Hundreds of war crimes in like five weeks' time. And that's just on the Ukrainian side. They're estimating right now twenty-five to 30,000 Russian soldiers have been killed. Most of them didn't even know what they were getting into. So he's also responsible for what in God's eyes? He's responsible for those as well, not just the ones on the other side of the border. The second condition is what we call the seared conscience. This is a conscience that is shut off. It's intentionally shut down. It's where you ignore its voice and you permanently disable it. 1 Timothy 4.2, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. This is something that somebody does over life. They begin to shut it down, and over time, uh, they're not sensitive to it. So if they're about to do something wrong, there's no voice squawking at them. If they do something wrong, there's no feedback from that conscience. So they live their lives without what? At that point in time, it's impossible to live from the center of the spirit. What are they doomed to live by? The flesh, the body, the mind, the will, the emotions, because they have shut down that spirit because they don't like what that conscience is saying. They don't like what's being communicated from God to their spiritual center, the conscience. So they shut it down. Have you ever met Christians to do this? Oh, yeah, I have. And that's why I'm telling you, anybody in this room is capable of doing anything if you allow that conscience to be seared like that. But it takes your cooperation. The third condition is what we call the sociopathic conscious. And this is where it's completely missing. Somewhere along life's journey, that simple conscience has been cut out, excised from their life. And these people can commit horrible crimes and have absolutely no remorse. They don't have any empathy for anybody involved, whether it is violent or just taking advantage of somebody or controlling somebody. It doesn't matter. They become you know, extremely narcissistic because it's, it's not about there's a seared conscience. I mean, it's just it's just flat gone. And their only hope is deliverance. And they're out there. Amen. I've met them. You haven't ministered until you try to minister to a sociopath. Because forget about, well, let's repent and ask Jesus into our heart. Repent for what? There's no comprehension that what's been done is wrong. And personal lives and behavior of people, whether it's destroying people's lives or going from bed to bed to bed, relationship to relationship to relationship. People have no idea the scars and the damage they do living that way. And some of them come to their senses, but some people never do. Amen. You don't have to be a mass murderer to have a conscience that's been excised. Amen. Scripture says in Titus 1.15, To the pure all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their mind and their consciences are defiled. They are contaminated. Their compromise is a really good way to put that. Amen. Say it with me. Simple. Seared. Sociopathic. Well, you and I want number four, which is sensitive. We want to have a functioning conscience, able to hear the Spirit 
when the rest of the dimensions of the life are quieted, when the, when the physical body is told to shut up, the mind is told to shut up, the will is told to shut up, the emotions are told to shut up, now I can actually hear what the conscious is saying. 1 Timothy 1.5, the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith, a functioning conscience. Are you here today? Now, every one of us were born with a with simple conscience. That's just the way we were made. That's why God says, you look at the beauty, you look at the majesty of creation, and you know that there was an intelligent design here. Uh, Plato, through simple conscience and through this principle of the agathon or the good, made his way to faith in God with no scriptures in front of him. You understand what I'm saying to you? So it is possible to do that strictly by what? How he made you with the conscience and the environment he put around you. I mean, if we'll just be honest about that, somebody actually had to do some work. Did you know that Bill Burnett actually did work on this building? Did you know this platform stands because he helped build it? How do I know that Bill Burnett exists? Well, he's crazy for one. Everybody knows that. Amen. <laughs> I know because I saw him work on this platform. There's evidence that what? That he exists. But we need a whole lot more than that if we're going to stop Ishmael's from being created in our lives. We need more than ever to have a sensitive conscience. Right now, we need to be at the apex of sensitivity. Not having our understanding darkened. Amen. Not losing sensitivity, but gaining sensitivity. What's the example of that? Raise your hand if you ever did something or said something and you felt bad of it. And let's just, uh, let's not go way back. Let's go, since you've been a, a committed Christian, raise your hand and you did or said something. Come on, raise it up high. There ought to be every hand up here. I need to have an altar call real quickly and just change the direction of the service. <laughs> Bert's got both hands up there, amen. One foot's in the air. <laughs> raise it up high. If you did or said something and then your conscience spoke to you. But first of all, stop saying that's a bad thing. Because it could be just simple or could be seared, guess what, or could be excised. The fact that you could feel bad about that, not condemned, proves the conscience is working. Leading you to what? To repentance, which is also a gift. Leading you what? To not right standing. You already are in right standing, but leading you to a right relationship and peace. Not that God's at war with you. You're at war with him. But watch this. Raise your hand if you really like to stop creating Ishmael's from this day forward in your Christian life. Raise the pie. Here's the key. That same conscience would tell you before you did that. Before you said that, before you did that, before you took that step. Hey, Abraham, here comes Hagar. Run. How many of y'all think Joseph got that message? Yes. The narrative didn't say, and, and Potiphar's wife came on to him. Oh, Joseph, Joseph. If you want to hear one of the funniest messages you ever hear, listen to Creflo talk about Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Joseph. <laughs> hey, Joseph. <laughs> and he did not end up in her bed feeling bad with a stricken conscience because his conscience was what? Was working in advance of creating an Ishmael or a mess. Now, Joseph had the, the scriptures. He had revelation to a certain extent in terms of his, his forefathers and the lessons they passed down. Certainly he did. But you and I are born again spirit-filled. We, we should have preemptive communication in our conscience in every single area of life. Not about what you did. Come on, I'm preaching, but you are looking at me right now. Not about what you did, but to prevent what you're about to do. To prevent what you're about to say. 
to prevent giving birth to Ishmael. By what? A healthy, working conscience. Say, the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. That's the part that he lights up. It's the part that he talks to. Amen. How am I going to stop creating Ishmael's? What I'm going to do is I'm going to remember the word spoken to me. Amen. I'm going to stand under the pressure. I'm going to get a greater revelation of the goodness of God. And what am I going to do? I'm going to maintain a healthy conscience. And in prayer, in the word, amen. And how do you know if you get in the habit of responding to him over the smallest things, you will certainly respond to him in the big things. Here's the bottom line. Your conscience doesn't just work after you do something. You've heard us say, uh, you know, God spoke to my spirit or I felt impressed or led. There was a check in my spirit. All of this is a function of the conscience that God put inside of you that is very much alert and amplified through your relationship with God and the ministry of the Spirit of God. Amen. Turn to somebody and say, it's not just when you blow it. He talks before you blow it. Amen. Let's give him a hand clap and thank God for it.